Hello, Cinefall fans. This is the Outlaw John Roca. Well, my partner Steve Morris and I are talking this week one of the greatest comedies ever in the history of mankind. Yes, I can say that. Duck Soup from the Marx Brothers, Groucho Marx, Harpo Marx, Chico Marx, and yes, even Zeppo Marx makes an appearance in this one, considered the greatest of all the Marx Brothers comedies and one that got a lot of attention and has been analyzed and reanalyzed so many times over the generations since. Um, it's been called a political satire. It's been called a straight physical comedy. It's been called just a brilliant comedy. Some people have called it outdated. It is one, but I would disagree with those people. It is one of my favorite watches every single time. It's a tight hour and 10 minutes. Some great gags, some legendary scenes especially the scene between Harpo Marx and Groucho Marx, where they're doing that simulation of whether he's in the mirror or not, uh, going back and forth. A great exercise for all you actors who've done that. I'm sure the mirror exercise many, many times. But this is such a legendary comedy because of the great performances from the Marx Brothers. But also, you got to give some love to Margaret Dumont. They're classic constantly, um, uh, how can I say this, constantly put upon uh, lady in waiting that, and she does an incredible job in this film as well. Louis Calhern is very hilarious as Ambassador Trentino. Edgar Kennedy has some great moments. He's the, uh, he's the, uh, um, the lemonade vendor there that has the back and forth with Harpo and Chico while they're selling peanuts right outside. And Raquel Torres, a great Latina actress, Mexican actress, is a part of the cast as well. So one that I think you guys will thoroughly enjoy. It's an hour and 10 minutes. You can find it on Tubi. TV. I'm sure we have it to buy on uh, files.net for you all to enjoy as well. So sit back, relax, tickle that funny bone of yours, get it ready, and Steve and I will bring you Duck Soup this weekend on the Cinephiles. You're a brave man. Go and break through the lines. And remember, while you're out there risking life and limb through shot and shell, we'll be in here thinking what a sucker you are. <laughs> Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. I'm a writer, producer, and host uh, over on the Outlaw Nation and a voiceover artist here in the world and excited to be getting into this movie and a lover of old school comedy um, and especially the Marx Brothers, my man. There's something so special about the Marx Brothers that the the level of wackiness is so high. Yeah. And it's funny. This is our second film from the 30s we've done recently, and mm. I've made the same mistake both times. Last time was His Girl Friday, and I said, John, it's a short movie. won't take me that long to prep. And then I'm <laughs> watching it, and it's so fast-paced that I couldn't keep up. Yeah. And this was the same thing. The movie is 68 <laughs> minutes, but there's literally – constantly millions of things going on and just groucho's lines it's just like wait wait what 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 did he say what happened <laughs> uh yeah. but the movie is uh duck soup and uh john do you remember how you first came to it yeah i watched it when i was a kid i remember like you know as i've said before on the show multiple times Metro Media 5 in D.C. used to show old movies growing up or WDCA 20. It was one of those two. And I remember because my parents worked so much, you know, they're immigrants to this country, had to work a lot to kind of pay our bills. I was planted in front of a television for a majority of my younger years. Um, and I remember 
watching this film, watching the Marx Brothers and developing a very early love and devotion to the Marx Brothers and uh, being obsessed. I've read like so many biographies on them, just incredible uh, love I have for them. And so I remember watching it distinctly as a kid and just laughing so much, especially at the peanut scene and that mirror scene or fake mirror scene that once you see it at an impressionable age, that mirror scene never disappears for you in terms of its effect on you when you watch it. Um, yeah, it's, I can't remember when I first saw the Marx Brothers. It's funny. Mm. My local TV station, they showed way more of Abbott and Costello mm. and Shirley Temple and the Bowery Boys sure, than the they Bowery did the Boys. Marx Brothers. I don't know why. So I think, <laughs> I think it was probably junior high or high school. I think Duck Soup might have been my first one, but I'm not really sure. Mm. But I just remember falling in love, particularly with Groucho. And I think everybody's yeah. got, you know, some some people are Harpo people. I'm sure there's some Chico people. Yeah. Maybe some Zeppo people. I I, I don't know. But are for, there find the gummo people? That's yeah, really going we to gotta, be, yeah. Yeah, find <laughs> the gummo people. Um, but yeah, for me, and it's funny because I listened to I loved old radio shows, which is yeah. before there was like audiobooks, which I listened to in podcasts. Mm-hmm. I would go to the library and get cassettes of old radio shows, and I listened to a ton of You Bet Your Life. Mm, right. Uh, and Groucho is just so damn funny. Yeah. Um uh I, I'm I'm going to try. <laughs> to do a brief, brief background on these people. But okay. they're so damn interesting that it's yeah. it's going to be hard to keep it brief. <laughs> but yes, the first thing is, in case you were wondering, they are, in fact, brothers. Yes. Um, they, they performed from 1905 to 1949 together. Mm-hmm. They have in the, there's the AFI best top 100 comedies. They have five films in the AFI top 100 comedies. That's insane. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were born in New York City, children of Jewish immigrants. Mom uh, was Minnie Schoenberg, known as Minnie Palmer. And she was always in the theater, always in the performing arts. Uh, She was from Germany. Dad was from France. He was Simon Marks and his nickname was Frenchie. And he was a tailor. Mm. Grew up on the Upper East Side. Uh, Their first son, Manfred, died of tuberculosis at seven months old in 1886. Uh, Leonard who would become Chico, was born next in 87. Adolf, who would become Harpo, is born in 88. Julius, who is Groucho, born in 1990, followed by Gummo in 92. Uh, And Herbert, who became Zeppo, born in 1901. Uh, Their childhood, it sounds like growing up on the Upper East Side, was uh, exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chico did a lot of hustling. He started gambling, I think, at like five years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at one point, he uh, gambled so much he lost his pants, snuck home with no pants, stole some money out of dad's uh, pocket, went mm-hmm. back out, gambled again, got his pants back, snuck the money back into dad's pocket <laughs> and got away with it. Uh, Harpo, uh, musical ta- they're all mu- talented musically, and Harpo uh-huh. seems like he was the most, learned instruments uh self-taught and he taught himself how to play the harp it was funny i don't know how he got access to a harp that's not like an instrument that's generally lying around but he didn't know how to tune it Mm -hmm. so he just picked a note put it on a string and then tuned everything uh to that note and then just figured out how to play it a harp does not seem like an instrument that would be easy to play (laughs) and it wasn't until years later that he found out that he had tuned it entirely wrong 
Oh, wow. So he was, he had just invented this and, and he would go to people at first and say, mm-hmm. and he played it totally wrong. Like his hands were in the wrong places. Fingering was wrong. Everything was wrong. Right. And he would go to someone's like, well, can you teach me the right way? And they would watch him play and go, no, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> mess with what you're doing. And finally he was like a full adult when he finally found a teacher to teach him the correct method of playing the harp. Uh, well, Chico played the, uh, sorry. Sorry. It's like the Beatles, right? I mean, uh, neither John nor Paul can read music. Uh, right. And I and, and I was watching uh, the recent uh, uh, McCartney one with Ruben that's on three, two, one on Hulu. And he Ruben tried to get him to read. A, he's like, I don't do that. And yeah. when he collaborates with with other people with these duets, McCartney's very clear from the beginning. I do not read music. I very much my own thing. And yeah. When Lennon later on, I think someone was, I think Lennon, someone was, Lennon was asking him the same thing. Like, Hey, can you teach me? He was like, I don't want to mess with what you've created already. Why mess with something that totally works? So, you know, right. that's understandable. Yeah. It's so funny that you say the Beatles, I was going to bring this up much mm. later, but there's a, there is a definite Beatles connection. A, they love the Marx brothers and you can see yes. that's another influence in hard days night and oh, their, totally. their style. But the other thing people have made this comparison, which I think is so interesting, which is that the formative years of the Marx brothers is all this time doing vaudeville. Mm-hmm. And a yes. lot of people said that's like Hamburg for oh, the Beatles. You know, I could see that. Yeah. Is that they were just forced to do it and do it and do it yep. and do it and figure out who they were. Right. Groucho, believe it or not, it's, it's also <laughs> unshocking. So while Chico is hustling, Harpo is playing music. Groucho is a quiet intellectual who would get books and lock himself in the bathroom so he could just read. Mm-hmm. He was the only one who regularly went to school. The other ones just skipped out. <laughs> they weren't there. But uh, mom was involved in vaudeville and their uncle was yeah. a vaudeville performer. And mom, Minnie, was was uh, managing them. And the first person that went to do vaudeville was Groucho in 1905. He joined a singing group and they became the three Nightingales uh, with a woman. And Gummo joined in 1907. Then Harpo joined. It became the four Nightingales. Then Minnie and their aunt. Uh, their aunt joined. They changed the name to the six mascots. <laughs> Chico's there. He he wants to play piano, so he uh, bribes the piano player in the pit so he could play piano. And this is maybe the very first bit of comedy for this singing group is they saw Chico in the pit and they started throwing stuff at him. <laughs> um, the big moment happens in 1912, which might have been in Nacogdoches, Texas, maybe. Or okay. some people say it was in Oklahoma and some people say it was somewhere else. But they're doing a show and doing their singing act. And we hear yelling about a runaway mule. And the audience all runs out of the theater to go see the runaway mule. And this pisses Groucho off. (laughs) So then, then they come back in. He starts insulting the audience. Yeah. And he says things like, Nacogdoches is full of roaches. (laughs) And Harpo as the audience starts to react to this, Harpo starts hiding under the carpet. Pit Chico jumps into the pit and starts playing the piano and chaos ensues. And rather than getting angry, the audience ate it up. Mm-hmm. And so it became a musical act with a little bit of comedy. And then it became kind of half comedy, half musical. Uh, Zeppo joins in 1914 and it, right around then they're actually all together for the only time ever. And then Gummo joins the army Mm-hmm. And uh, it, to fight in World War One, and he wrote his when they asked about it, he said anything is better than being an actor. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Gummo felt about this stuff. <laughs> uh, and then they really became a, a full comedy act. They all got their names apparently at mm-hmm. one poker game. Yep, a guy was there who was part of uh, betting and all that, and being part of the seedy underworld of 
performing or what have you, uh, he named them all based on their characteristics. Uh, absolutely. With with Groucho, he was always a curmudgeon, so he called him Groucho. With Chico, he was always going after the girls, so he was called Chico, Chico. And uh, and uh, Harpo, the same thing, because of his love for the harp, which is, as you mentioned earlier, Steve, something so, so unusual uh, for sure. I can't remember how Zeppo got his name. I forget what it was that Zeppo got it. There's a lot of arguments about Gummo seems to be about uh, that he wore uh, shoes with rubber oh, right. shoals. Right. Gum shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, gum shoes. Yes, yes, yes. Zeppo, there's some like it was some product or sales or something, mm. but there's a there's some disagreement about how Zeppo became Zeppo. Yeah. Um, apparently, by the way, there's I read years ago, I read Harpo Speaks, his uh, autobiography. Yes. Good autobiography. Really good. And I remember they're just stories about like people sitting down to play poker with the Marx Brothers and them just cheating yeah. and messing with people and it just the the thing that i that i heard was that they were 10 times funnier on stage than they ever were in film yes and they were 10 times funnier in person than they were on stage wow. <laughs> like yeah. like they would destroy like people people would describe like literally falling out of their chairs in the aisles couldn't stop laughing yeah and a ton of it was when 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 things started to go wrong you know and they would improvise yep. and they would mess with each other on the stage and that's when some of the best which of course you can't capture on film mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and i can't encourage people enough to read that harpo spell i have it in paperback down here somewhere uh with my other biographies it's such a great biography and yeah it's fun lighthearted stories for the most part but yeah. there's also a very uh, emotional, uh, incredibly unsettling story he tells about being one of the first American performers in Russia during the time when American performers did not perform mm. in Russia and what he saw there, a sh line of shops of yellow stars out in front and said walking in and seeing these people who were just half alive, shell-shocked, wondering when the next a punch or beating was going to come figuratively wow. or literally because they just didn't understand the change. All of a sudden they were unwanted people as Jewish people and related, obviously connected to that being Jewish himself and how he almost was captured and imprisoned by the Russian authorities wow. when he was all, because he was going leaving and he, and he was uh, a guy who was an American who was staying there as well, told him, Hey, they're switching over to rubles, paying rubles. Trust me, you're going to get out of here. Use the rubles. So he, goes to pay in rubles instead of his foreign money and it raises suspicions so these russian soldiers grab him they tear throw him into a room and they start interrogating him about like where'd you get the rubles where'd you get the rubles uh and he's just like i i you know he didn't out his friend for giving him the rubles he just said he had it and he was paying for it uh and then um they started to go through his stuff and he said there's nothing in here you're not gonna and they found the harp and he said yeah i play harp that's what i'm harp i'm a performer and they said, well, play it. But his hands were so frozen from the Russian cold that he couldn't play the harp believably or well enough. And another soldier who was there played it equally as good as Harpo's. So they were like, how could you be a performer if you're just as good as one of these soldiers? And then they went through the rest of his stuff and they found like dynamite sticks and all this stuff that he uses for his show. And and right. they thought he was going in there as like a spy oh my to do God. stuff or blow stuff up. But that American who gave him rubles eventually heard what was happening and went there and negotiated for Harpo's release and he got on the train and they left. But that's how close he came to being like stuck in that, in that country during wow. such a tumultuous time as a Jewish performer, an American Jewish performer in Russia. So crazy.
What? So crazy, crazy, crazy hmm. story. Yeah. yeah. Um, they be, they're one of the biggest acts in vaudeville and Chico decides let's go to Broadway and the yeah. rest of the brothers are freaked out. This is a big, <laughs> scary thing to do. And they ended up being a huge hit. Their first place, coconuts. The next is animal crackers. They had yeah. brilliant writers like George S. Kaufman writing for them. Um, and what happens is right. This is in the mid twenties. Yeah. And right as they're destroying on Broadway, the jazz singer happens mm-hmm. and suddenly Hollywood is looking for people that can talk, Yeah, you know? And so they look to the Marx brothers and it's a good thing because the other thing that happened right then is the stock market crashed in 29. Right. Groucho lost everything. Yep. He had put together $250,000. It was all in the market. And then when it went down halfway, he doubled down. He went, well, it's oh. got to be at the bottom. And then everything gone. Harpo lost almost everything. Chico apparently never had any money because <laughs> <laughs> he was gambling all the time. He was gambling he? all the time. Right. <laughs> so he was okay. And the other thing that happened right before they went to Hollywood is their mom died. Yeah. Um, and what's crazy is this is 25 years in vaudeville before they make their first movie. Yeah. They're all in their forties. Right. At this point. Right. Uh, first movies, coconuts in 29 animal crackers in 30 horse feathers in 32 was the highest grossing movie of 1932. I love horse feathers. Yeah, it's great. But that was what, what's so funny is there's so many bits. Oh, I mean, yeah. what, what, what's weird about these movies is is there a story? Sure, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's there's a the, plot. Yes, <laughs> but who who cares? <laughs> I mean, right. even trying to put any thought into what is actually going on doesn't really. Yeah, it's not worth your time because it's just watching the Marx Brothers. And they're brilliant skewers of institutional stuff, right? In Horse Feathers, it's all about skewing the idea. And, and Groucho would know, being, as you said, Stephen, intellectuals. I mean, they went to school. They're skewering the university system. They're skewering sports. They're skewering this idea of these institutions in America. This is what they loved to do. They were so known for being these, these uh, upstarts, these uh, rebellious uh, guys. Even on stage, you never knew what you were going to get from one show to the next. They were rebellious in numerous ways. And so it made sense that everything they did was always them being these kind of upstarts going into these like um, stuffy places and overturning everything and making fun of it and turning it upside down. So after Horse Feathers was such a huge hit, they're getting ready for the production on their next film, which is going to be titled Firecrackers and slated to direct is Ernst Lubitsch. (laughs) Of all people. Yes. And here was the even crazier one is supervising the production is Herman Mankiewicz. So it was going to be an Ernst Lubitsch, Herman Mankiewicz production of a Marx Brothers film. There's no way that would have gone off. There's no <laughs> effing way that would have gone off. No way. The, no way. the problem is, is Paramount, despite the fact that Horse Feathers was a huge hit, is right on the edge of bankruptcy. Yeah. And the Marx Brothers are worried that they're not even going to get paid. Yeah. And that at that point that Lubitsch leaves, Mankiewicz leaves, the movie gets changed title to Cracked Ice. There's mm-hmm. so many writers that come in and out is they don't they don't even know how to give credit for really who wrote this. It's right. all sorts of different people. Um, and the way that they prepped, which I love, is that they would a bit would be written for them and then they would go play it live and they would oh, experiment wow. with an experiment and perfect it. And then right. and maybe it would end up in the movie or if they didn't feel it was good enough, then it would get tossed. And the thing about the no two shows were ever the same with the Marx Brothers. Yeah, they never were. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to start shooting on February 15th, 1933. Titles changed to Grasshoppers. (laughs) And then uh, it get pushed. And then it got pushed again. And then in May, uh, their father, Frenchie, died 
And finally, Paramount and the Marx Brothers kind of settle their dispute and they feel more comfortable that they're going to make the movie and they bring on Leo McCary to direct. And he was really the best director they'd worked with up to that point. He was a silent movie guy. Hal Roach guy did tons of Laurel and Hardy. Right. Uh, He didn't want to work with the Marx Brothers. Wow. The film was shot between June and mid-July in 1933. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCary came up with the title of Duck Soup. Okay. Part of it was all of their movies. You know, they had these animal names in movies. Right. Duck Soup apparently is an expression slang for something easy to do. Oh, it's yes. Duck Soup. Yeah. It's not an expression that I was really familiar with. Neither was I. They asked Groucho. <laughs> they asked Groucho, why is it called Duck Soup? He said, take two curt turkeys, one goose, four cabbages, but no ducks and mix them together. And one, after one taste, you'll duck soup for the rest of your life. <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> I, 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 I'm I so fascinated by Groucho language because oh, yeah. it's, it's all non sequitur and absurd and Oh, it's amazing. That's this is and this is where people need to understand, you know, the comedy is brilliant because that's not easy to do. No. And too many people think slapstick comedy or punny comedy is so easy. It really isn't. And if you get lost in the slapstick, which isn't that much in the Grouch, uh, the Marx Brothers, rather, you will miss the brilliant comedy that's going on. The timing, the, uh, the, the what they're saying about things and just the overall funniness of of what they're skewering. It's brilliant. But if you get lost in the whole oh physical comedy stuff, you're going to miss some of the great comedy that it really is what separates them from so many other their contemporary comedians uh, at the time. What, what's crazy about it is it's so precise. Yeah. It's so well timed out, as you say. And yet it all seems totally natural. Yes. It just seems like it's happening, you know. Like there isn't a set like like if you watch Charlie Chaplin, also obviously so so precise. Oh yeah, but it's clear like it's a dance. It's all been worked out every detail, and it feels that way. Right. Whereas this feels like they're just making this up, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, which some of the time they are. Yeah. Uh, shall we get in the film? Yeah, let's do it. So we start with a big sign that says. NRA at the beginning, <laughs> which is not the National Rifle, Rifle Association. It is the National Recovery Act under because right. we're in the middle of the Depression. In our titles, we see some live ducks in a pot of hot water with a fire under it. No ducks were harmed. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the only appearance of ducks in duck soup at all. And then we uh, see a flag. It's the flag of Fredonia. <laughs> <laughs> we wipe to a to a castle and there are these people in elegant clothes and this is the setup the setup mm-hmm. is there's this country it's going bankrupt the great margaret dumont who who uh is the straight woman for many of the movies yeah. she is mrs teasdale she has apparently loaned the government of fredonia half of her husband's fortune and she refuses to give them any more money unless they get someone responsible in charge of the country and that person is rufus t firefly rufus t firefly i will lend the money to fredonia only if Firefly is appointed leader. A more irresponsible name we've never heard, I, I believe. <laughs> and of course, we cut to a newspaper with a picture of Groucho saying he's now the head of this country. <laughs> what an introduction. What an introduction. You haven't even seen him yet. It's just in, in, in a newspaper. It's brilliant. What's interesting about the about the Marx Brothers is we already know their characters. Yes. Do you know what I mean? We don't have to. You just see a picture of Groucho. You know it's, it's Groucho. Oh, yeah. You know? Absolutely, yeah. And this reception is crazy. It's not, But, of course, it's meant to skewer this idea of these kinds of – like we see now with North Korea and other countries, they, they have – we do it, right? They, the, sure. All our – 
uh, the national playing the national anthem before the sports games. Bring the troops out. Bring the massive American flag out. Have the jets fly over. This is what they're skewering: the pomp and circumstance of kissing your own country's ass. And I think this is what they're showing here with the Fredonia entrance and everything like that. Of course, we get introduced to all the characters that were part of Sylvania's. So I love that. I wonder if that was a company at the time. But Sylvania's uh, uh, leader. We get introduced to these number of people here, but like amidst all this pomp and circumstance where they announce everybody who's walking through the door with these two loud trumpets and and what have you but yeah it's all of that to lead to groucho getting the alarm or rufus getting the alarm in bed yeah by the way the guy who plays uh trentino the ambassador of sylvania his name is uh lewis calhern he was a buddy of harpo's he's a broadway actor oh. they hung out together all the time this guy was acting in movies in the silent era and continued to act all the way through the 50s wow Huge, huge, long career. Uh, And we also meet a dancer uh, with him. This is uh, Raquel Torres. And one of the interesting things about this movie is, I know it's come up a few times on the Cinephiles, is there's something called the Hayes Code. And the Hayes Code was the very first sort of ratings system that meant you couldn't do scandalous and terrible things. Mm -hmm. This movie is one year before the Hayes Code. Oh, wow. Yeah, and yeah. there are a lot of things, including her low-cut dress, which would yeah. probably have never been able to be on screen the next year. Yeah, and she is a Mexican actress, uh, mm-hmm. acted for a little bit until about 1935, then married a businessman and lived with him for a while. Then he passed away and she moved and married someone else and uh, died. In, in, uh, she was 78 years old, but she never came back. There had been possibilities because the the husband she married a businessman who became a producer of B-movies, but she never went back to do films after 1935. Wow. I think she's very sweet in this movie. and. It's rare to find, you know, a Latina actress or a Hispanic actress uh, in these uh, 1930s, 1940s films. And she's very she's not played for she's not played. Her heritage is not played for any jokes. None of it. It's all. Yeah, there's the, the, the male female dynamic certainly explored. But she's played as as uh, someone who is kind of dedicated to Sylvania in her own way. She's not played evil or mean or anything like that. Yeah. And one of the things we hear is that Trentino, the ambassador from Sylvania, he wants to take over the country of Fredonia. Yeah. yeah. And one of his schemes is to marry Mrs. Teasdale. Mm-hmm. But she apparently is sweet on Rufus T. Firefly. Yes. Uh, and then we meet Zeppo, who is uh, Firefly's secretary. His Excellency makes it a point always to be on time. As long as I've known him, he's never been late for an appointment. This is his last film with the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny. There's a lot of like, is Zeppo good in this movie? You know, no. Zeppo was never good. No offense to Zeppo, but that's Zeppo what was, I think too. Yeah. I think Zeppo and Gummo, the reason Gummo didn't like is Gummo was like, not the level. I mean, imagine that Steve, that you had to step up and be at right. the level of Harpo, Chico and Groucho. That's a lot to ask. And to think the talent could run through multiple brothers is really kind of a rare thing. Ask the Baldwins. Trust me, it's it's the law of diminishing returns. <laughs> There's a hierarchy down. here. Yeah, exactly. So you look at the situation here, the same thing. It's like, I think Zeppo did what he could do and then was out. Like, I'm sure he felt like, this isn't for me. I'm not at that level. I don't want to do this stuff. There's other things. I'm being overshadowed. Uh, so let me go and, and do other things with my life. So it's understandable. Um, and he's still in the most iconic yeah. and lauded Marx Brothers movie. So at least he went out with a bang. And he's a okay straight man. Sure. He's you okay. know, sure. it's it's funny. I read it multiple times. I don't really believe it, but I read multiple times people saying that offstage Zeppo was the funniest. 
Oh, really? Wow. I mean, I, I can't see it. Maybe he had to be like the subtle humor because everyone yeah. else is so big. He was smarter with his zingers. So therefore it was funnier. Maybe that's possible. And now in preparation for the arrival of Firefly, <laughs> we get into a big song. Yes. Which Zeppo no starts. Sense. No sense out of nowhere, Steve. <laughs> it's, <Yeah>. it's crazy. <laughs> um, and we just see all of this pomp and circumstances, including the trumpet guys. And then the soldiers come in and they get out their swords and they make that thing to make like an archway, which mm -hmm. I, I, I was trying. I'm taking my notes. I'm going. There's got to be a name for that where so people do that. Oh. And I looked it up. It is called a saber arch. Oh, okay. <laughs> Little tidbits of information you nice. didn't think you were going to get on the cinephiles. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, this song is what? Once again, this whole pomp and circumstance celebrating, once again, are connected to North Korea, how they make up songs to celebrate their leaders. Same thing here, right? It's a song to celebrate Rufus T. Firefly who's going to show up at 10 a.m. <laughs> And then he's not there and they pause and then they reset and they sing hail Fredonia again. And everyone bows again. No Rufus T firefly cut to an alarm going off. He's in bed. And this is like old silent movie trick where we sped up the film. He jumps up, takes off his pajamas, slides down a pole, walks through the reception hall. No one notices him. I love the Groucho walk, by the way. Oh, yeah. And goes up to one of the soldiers and whispers, You expecting somebody? Yes. And so he just joins them and puts his arm up in the saber arch. And as they do another hail for Donia, and finally, <laughs> Mrs. Treesdale, Margaret Dumont, sees him. Ah, so good. So good, man. As chairwoman of the reception committee, I extend the good wishes of every man, woman, and child of Fredonia. Never mind that stuff. Take a card. Card? What'll I do with the card? You can keep it. I've got 51 left. <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about this movie is that everyone else in it has to be completely straight. Yeah. And not recognize the insanity of the things that are going on around them. Yeah. And yep. Margaret Dumont is the best. Her and uh, Louis Cal Calhern are fantastic in the yeah. movie, playing the straight. I mean, we're going to get to that sequence where he first meets Chico and Harpo as his spies. And the crap they put him through, just insane. Yeah. And wh whereas the guy who runs the, I forget the guy's name, who runs the lemonade stand, he's a well-known Max Senate guy at the time. Yeah. So it kind of flows. But this, Louis has to play it as, you know, very straight. And Margaret has to play it very straight. And, you know, she loved him. She loved Groucho. She loved yeah. doing all the stuff she did for Groucho. She performed with him seven days before she died of a heart attack. Seven wow. days. They were reunited um, in Fe on the February 28th, and then she died on March 6th. So it's like, it's or six days, I guess. She died after they were reunited. Uh, I think it was for the Colgate Comedy Hour. So it's just like she had such devotion to him. Um, and it was, it, when, if you can find that, it's really great to see them reunited. There's such chemistry and love for each other uh, that it's there. You know? And there was always this sort of rumor that Margaret Dumont, not just her characters, but that she didn't get it. She didn't yes. understand the humor. No. That is not true. Of course, it's not true. And in fact, one of the things she had to do was she had to, her pauses are specifically timed to make room for the laugh before the next joke. If she mm -hmm. comes in too quick, 
then the laughter will roll over the next line. Yes, yes. Um, which is a thing. I mean, you've been on stage. There's a timing when you have a live audience. You can feel the laugh start to subside. Oh, yeah. And then you can come in. But you don't have that timing when you're making a movie. It's all silent. So right, right. Um, I can't possibly say all of the lines that Groucho has that are amazing. <laughs> and why would you want to listen to me do them? But right. we will get some of them. And this is the first big ramble. Yeah. She says, I feel you are the most able statesman in all Fredonia. And he says, well, that covers a lot of ground. Say you cover a lot of ground yourself. You better beat it. I hear they're going to tear you down and put up an office building where you're standing. You can leave in a taxi. If you can't get a taxi, you can leave in a huff. If that's too soon, he can leave in a minute and a half. You know, you haven't stopped talking since I came here. You must have been vaccinated with a phonograph needle. <laughs> a vaccination joke. thinking <laughs> the same thing. Brilliant. You know where I got Groucho rhythms probably the most first hmm. is Alan Alda, Hawkeye in MASH. Right. He would do the imitations. He would do Groucho yeah. stuff. I will not carry a gun, Frank. <laughs> I'll carry your books. I'll carry a torch. I'll carry a tune. I'll carry on, carry over, carry forward, carry Grant, cash and carry, carry me back to old Virginia. I'll even Harry carry if you show me how, but I will not carry a gun. Yeah, 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 totally. And this is one of the things, they're so influential on so many comedians going oh, forward. Yeah. One of the things that uh, people said was that this is the very beginning of talking pictures. Some people have said that Groucho is the person who brought wit to mm, films. Right. You can't be witty in a silent movie. You can right. be funny. Right. But the wordplay, this is the beginning of it. Promise me you'll follow in the footsteps of my husband. How do you like that? I haven't been on the job five minutes and already she's making advances to me. <laughs> and he's talking to the camera, breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Here are the two things the studio, when they came to Hollywood, didn't want. They said to Groucho, you cannot break the fourth wall and you can't do that fake, uh, you know, grease paint mustache. That's not going right. to cut it in the movies. <laughs> Groucho won both fights. <laughs> and the way he did the grease paint mustache is he was late for a show. And he, oh, couldn't, really? he couldn't tape on the whiskers in time. So he just did the grease paint and then eventually did the eyebrows. But the grease paint was all done on just a spur of the moment because he was late for a show. Uh, so, you know, it's just this, these things that had these happy accidents that really good performers can uh, use to advance their career. It's really fascinating to look at, you know. Well, I would argue Groucho and... To me, it's Groucho and the Tramp. Always. Yeah. It's always that battle in my head about who was actually the, the best. The iconic. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, and they are. What's interesting about that comparison is that both of them are created characters. Yeah. Like there is a Groucho character that is an, you know, it's a silhouette. You you see the, the cigar and the glasses mm. and the mustache, you know, it's yeah. like, which is the same as the Tramp. Yeah. Um, that's a really good comparison. Yeah. Not that I care, but where is your husband? Why, he's dead. I'll bet he's just using that as an excuse. I was with him till the very end. <laughs> no wonder he passed away. <laughs> I held him in my arms and kissed him. Oh, I see. Then it was murder. And I love, this is a classic Groucho. Will you marry me? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. <laughs> the, your point about the grease paint is really important because mm -hmm. one of the things about the Marx Brothers, none of this is real. Like, yes. we're not supposed to think that this is reality. Right, right. This exactly. is being silly. Yeah. Haven't we seen each other somewhere before? I don't think so. I'm not sure I'm seeing you now. It must be something I ate. Look here, sir. Are you trying to... Don't look now, but there's one man too many in this room, and I think it's you. We get introduced to the ambassador, and then we get introduced to the to the dancer. This is Vera Markel, the famous dancer. Is that so? Hmm. Can you do this one? And the Groucho dance moves. 
I know this is a podcast and you can't see this. But... <laughs> Pretty limber for 40, though. I'd say, <laughs> yes. I'd say that. <laughs> and it's so, so silly. Yeah. And she says, perhaps we could get a chance to dance together. I could dance with you till the cows come home. Yeah. On second thought, I'd rather dance with the cows till you come home. <laughs> uh, you know what? You're going to have to watch the movie. <laughs> it's like there's so many jokes I want to say them all. I'm gonna I'm gonna move ahead because then what happens after some jokes about dentists and checks and things like that is that Mark Dumont brings us into another song. Yes. And this is Groucho talking about laying down the law. If any man should come between a husband and his bride, we find out which one she prefers by letting her decide. If she prefers the other man, the husband steps outside. We stand him up against the wall and pop goes the weasel. Apparently the songs are mostly written by the screenwriters with a lot of improvisation and changes from the Marx Brothers. <laughs> this is, you know, you talked about what they're skewering. Yeah. Now we're skewering dictatorships. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And what are they? Jewish. And what are they aware sure. of, right? At the time, like this has always been the plight of the Jewish people in in our in our in the history of the world, right? This is vilifying, pointing the finger at, and using them first as the scapegoat to uh, rally the people. And so they would be very well uh, schooled in this particular point of view. So having that happen. And also they're skewering the idea that, oh, the, oh, the new guy's better. He's not going to be a right. dictator like the old guy. Oh, wait, he's a dictator. Just he's against different things uh, than you are, but he's still a dictator in a different clothes, in a different pair of clothes, or pants, rather, yeah. Well, and it's it's skewering the idea that there's this person that's going to come along. Yes. And they're just so amazing. They're going to solve all of our problems. And they are, in fact, just as human and flawed and ridiculous as all other people. <laughs> yes, exactly. The thing you said that I think is really interesting, I hadn't thought about it this way, is I think, man, there must have been, you have all these Jewish immigrants mm. coming from Europe where they didn't really have a voice. Yeah. And there must have just been this explosion of expression when they come to this country. Oh, yeah. And they can suddenly speak. Yep. And it's just as you say, there's just the skewering of authority. And make money for speaking. Make money for being funny. Make money for singing. Make yep. money for the, the, as opposed to being silenced. You know, they were able to be uh, appreciated, lauded, elevated for that. And yeah, that's that's a good thing. And we hear that it's time to go to the House of Representatives. And so we call for His Excellency's car. And after a lot of pomp and circumstance, he ends up outside. By the way, this was shot at a house in Pasadena. Oh. And up comes Harper on the motorcycle with a sidecar. Yeah. I'm in a hurry to the House of Representatives. Ride like fury. If you run out of gas, get Ethel. If Ethel runs out, get Mabel. Now step on it. And he steps on it and drives off without Groucho. <laughs> this is the big, the first of a running gag. <laughs> Let's it. go to Sylvania. And the first thing we hear is there's a guy whose job was to start a revolution, and he has failed. Yeah. Um, this is the bartender from Casablanca. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't either. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. And we hear that the ambassador has hired a couple of spies and they're going to disgrace and discredit Firefly. Mm. And we hear that they're here and we open the door and there is Chico and Harpo, Chico in a mask, Harpo in a backwards mask. <laughs> this scene, uh, the, you mentioned it before. I, yeah. I, it, th this is a scene that's really hard to talk about on, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to go uh, step by step, yes, I think so too, but he is this guy who's hired these two to be spies. They're the most incompetent spies you'll ever come in contact with. And all they do is spend this whole scene 
totally showing you how little uh, respect they have for his position, his status, and his uh, him as their employer. Harpo is cutting his tails. They're putting paste on his butt, so he sits down. The newspaper sticks to it. They leave with Harpo putting his hand in a mousetrap. So it's essentially, once again, skewering a government official that uses other people for uh to to become spies or tell on other people or what have you so it's very funny the way it's done and yes on its base level very funny just for the slapstick humor or the physical comedy but also underneath is the skewering of political officials well and i think what's interesting there's all sorts of sort of political satire oh yeah where you're skewering the ideas of politics or the that's not what this is no no no, this is it's like the Marx Brothers are just pure chaos. Mm-hmm. You've let insanity into your world and you have <laughs> no control over where it's going to go or what it's going to do. Yeah. Like there's a moment where like they do a baseball moment where Harpo runs and then slides back. Get out! There's He pulls out a blowtorch to light the cigars. There's, yeah. you know, the ambassador goes to sit down. They both sit down under him. And I don't know how you're an actor and play this straight, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why you cast your friend though, isn't it? Because he's probably... Right. You know, seen these shows uh, and seen other people do straight men for them on Broadway or on on stage, and so he knows how to play this really well and has a comfort level. I'm sure there, are, if there were outtakes back then, I'm yeah. sure there are a crap ton from this scene. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I found out that one of my teachers oh. was the assistant editor on this movie. Wow. Yeah, because Eddie Dimitrik, the Hollywood director, I had I took classes from him when he was 96 years old. Right. At USC. And he was the assistant, went on to direct Mutiny on the Bounty and a whole bunch of movies in the 50s and 60s, but uh, and was one of the Hollywood 10. He was the assistant editor on this movie. Wow. That's incredible. It's nuts. Um, <laughs> we're in the with the representative House of Representatives or whatever it is, and Groucho is playing jacks mm. and you know, here's the thought that I had as I'm watching him because he's like playing jacks and there's so much he does with his face and so yeah. much sort of silliness, like just him fluttering his eyes or little looks. You know, another person who I think must have loved Groucho is Chevy Chase. Oh, yeah. Oh, like if you so watch Fletch, mm-hmm. all those little things that he does. And, yeah. and it's funny, like Chevy Chase at his peak, he was one of those people who was just I don't even know what he was doing. He was just funny. Yeah. You know. And Groucho is that way. He's just, everything he does is just funny. Here's the Treasury Department's report. I hope you find it clear. Clear? Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Run out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make head or tail out of it. <laughs> uh, and then we, a guy gets up. He says, let's take up old business. I wish to discuss the tariff. Sit down. That's new business. No old business? Very well. Then we'll take up new business. No about that tariff. Too late. That's old business already. <laughs> And we, yes, there's a plot. There's people that are going on strike. We're worried about war. We got to raise the taxes. We don't have any money. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Exactly. But once again, I mean, it's, and I think this is, you know, as much as we, Rufus Steve Firefly, five Firefly is essentially the protagonist of the movie. He's also someone that is being skewered by himself because his, his indifference to the plight of the people that he's in charge of or leading uh, is also how some people view leaders, you know, that they, they don't care. They don't care about, they, they just see us all as numbers. They don't care. Part of it is, is like you mentioned, like the Tramp or Buster mm. Keaton. Oh, yeah. The, those guys are heroes. Yes. They might have flaws, you know, particularly the Tramp certainly has some flaws in his character, but yeah. he's the hero of the story. 
Right. The Marx Brothers are not good guys. No, you know, you're enjoying them. You're not necessarily maybe cheering for them, but you're certainly enjoying them. Yes. I mean, they're horrible people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> just, yes. They have no respect for anything or anyone, and they just want to tear everything down. They are anarchy yeah, unleashed. Are anarchy. Yes. Agreed. Speaking of which, we've reached the peanut scene. <laughs> I think this might be the best. The, the, I, I think this might be my favorite sequence in the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's so hard to tell, but it's just so damn silly. Yeah. The setup is Chico has a peanut roasting cart and Harpo is there. And next to them is a guy with a lemonade park. That guy, by the way, is Edward Edgar Kennedy. And he was a real, like I think you said, he's a Hal Roach guy. Yep. This Hal guy Roach, done a Not lot. Not Max Sennett, Hal Roach, my bad. Yeah. Yes, go ahead, sorry. Done a lot of two-reelers, a lot of comedies, mm-hmm. and did uh, Laurel and Hardy movies. Like this guy really been around. Yeah. And uh, there's so many just little gags. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the uh, the gag with the hats, the exchanging of the hats amongst the three of them is so very funny. The idea that, uh, you know, he's like, why are you guys fighting in front of my business? You drive away my customers. The holding of the leg thing, switching, uh, Chico kicking him in the butt the whole time. Like those little things like that just t- utterly frustrate him that ends up leading with his beloved hat uh, being set on fire in the Peanuts uh, stand so very very funny and and the frustration oof, ah, oof, those little comments just so great because he always attempts to try to throw a punch or thinks you know to flinch but uh it never does he's just constantly being taken advantage of and frustrated the whole time let's talk first about the holding the leg thing because this is a classic <laughs> harpo gag yes, it it's is. totally bizarre which is someone's <laughs> talking to him and he just puts his leg in their hand <laughs> and they and there's always a pause between when the leg goes in the hand yes and when the person notices the leg in the hand and then they throw the leg away you know and of course harpo speaks with these horns which he's frequently like leaning in and honking hey listen what are you doing around here by the way one of the things that happened harpo did talk early on in the Marx Brothers career mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was sort of talking less and less and then apparently there was a bad review that said you know when Harpo talks it's terrible and that was right. it he never spoke again wow there's a moment where he makes this really really bizarre face that mm-hmm. only Harpo can make um that is called a gookie and oh. gookie is something that Harpo, when he was a kid, saw some guy in a store window rolling cigars. Mm-hmm, and as mm-hmm. he rolled the cigars, he made this face. And that just became a Harpo signature thing. Oh, that makes sense. By the way, so we watched this with Karen and with Jax. And yeah. Jax has loved every old black and white comedy. We did uh, the Charlie Chaplin, we did Modern Times, loved it. Right. Not only did he love The General, he wanted to watch it again wow. with Buster Keaton. Loved wow. it. He burst out laughing so many times with Harpo. He <laughs> thinks Harpo is the funniest person in the world. Yeah. And it's so it's so funny that it totally still works. Yes. Yes. The stuff that Harpo is doing, like I love you're talking about the hats. Like I love mm-hmm. the moment where Chico puts the guy's hat on top of his hat yeah. and the guy takes it and then Harpo steals his hat off. So now he's wearing Chico's hat. Right. Or he tries to put his hat on and Harpo, just as he puts it on, steals that hat and puts the other hat on his head. Like all those little things. And they're just so smooth and effortless the way they do them. Yeah. So this is something, it actually comes from Leo McCary. Mm. The director created, had this idea, which he had done with Lauren Hardy, which he called escalating destruction. Each one is trying to destroy something with the other one as we move along. Mm -hmm. Groucho is on the balcony 
Chico is down below selling his peanuts <laughs> and Groucho yells down, you want a job as a public nuisance? Sure, how much does the job pay? I've got a good mind to join a club and beat you over the head with it. Peanuts! <laughs> Chico comes inside. He's answering Groucho's phone. Hello? No, he's not in. All right, I tell him. Goodbye. That was for you. I'm sorry I'm not in. I wanted to have a long talk with you. Chico and Groucho together are great. Oh, my God. Just so good. I think they were the closest in terms of a talent on the things they were doing, the the verbal comedy, right? Whereas Harpo, great, no one touched him on the silent stuff. But him and Groucho, oh, my God. And I think they were, I think think he was the youngest, second, right behind Groucho, if I'm not wrong on that. No, Chico's the oldest. Oh, Chico's the oldest. Chico, Harpo, Groucho. Yeah, so Groucho doesn't intimidate him at all. So, yeah, it's perfect. Um, Well, you know what I actually think it is? I think he's the swing man. Because he can go do physical stuff with Harpo. Good point. And he yeah. can do the word stuff with Groucho. Yeah. Now, what is it that has four pair of pants, lives in Philadelphia, and it never rains but it pours? That's a good one. I give you three guesses. Now, let me see. Has four pair of pants, lives in Philadelphia. Is it male or female? No, I don't think so. Is he dead? Who? I don't know. I give up. I give up, too. And he's offering him the job of being the Secretary of War. Because <laughs> naturally, that makes perfect sense. Why not? Just for that, you don't get the job I was going to give you. What job? Secretary of War. All right, I take it. So. And then the last time the phone rings, Harpo runs in, and they all dive across to get the phone. And now Harpo has a conversation on the phone using only his horns. And he is so expressive. Yeah. There's a questioning horn sound. There's a laughing horn sound. It's so good. It's so good. And then it's Harpo and Groucho, and he's asking Harpo's question. Ask who he is, and he has a tattoo of himself. Yes. And then he says, "Uh, it's too modern. You got one of the old masters, and Harpo reveals a bikini tattoo. (laughs) Uh, And then Groucho asks where he lives, and he lifts up his shirt, and there is a house. Yes. And Groucho leans in, and in the weirdest visual effect of all time, a dog leaps out of the house in Harpo's stomach and barks at Groucho. <laughs> I loved it. Loved that moment. Loved and that. then he leaves, and then in one of the great cutting things up moments, Zeppo walks in with his straw hat cut in half. Yes. And Zeppo says, we got a letter from the ambassador uh, that he's trying to undermine you. And basically, we come up with this plan is we could have some insults. Mm -hmm. Then maybe the ambassador will slap you. And then that will solve their conflicts with this country. I don't quite understand how getting slapped (laughs) by the ambassador is going to help anything. But of course, it doesn't matter. Right. And we hear that the ambassador is at uh, Mrs. Teasdale's tea party. Was I invited? No. Take a letter. You are cordially invited to attend my tea party. Uh, sign Mrs. Teasdale's name and tell her I accept. Come on, let's go. Let's have another Harpo gag. He drives up. Groucho says, step on it. I've got an appoint- appointment to insult Tarantino. T- not Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> We're at the tea party. And again, this is in Pasadena. This is at the Arden Villa in Pasadena, which mm-hmm. still exists, this big, huge house. We start with the ambassador and the dancer, and he's complaining he's still not making any progress with Mrs. Teasdale. 
but we're cool because we know Firefly is not going to show up because our dancer was in charge of the invitation. So he mm-hmm. didn't get an invitation. Cut to <laughs> His Excellency Rufus T. Firefly. <laughs> I love that he walks in, grabs a donut off of one table and dunks it into some coffee on another. Well, he's the, pre- he's the leader. He can do what he wants. Firefly interrupts Tarantino, who is proposing, <laughs> calls him a baboon. What? I'm sorry I said that. It isn't fair to the rest of the baboons. And then Trentino starts insulting Rufus. He calls him a swine, a worm, an upstart. Rufus slaps his face, and this is going to bring the countries to war. Yeah. Again, another uh, sidecar joke. Oh, no, you don't. I'm not taking any more chances. You can only fool a firefly twice. This time you ride in the sidecar. Harpo switches the sidecar. Groucho gets on the motorcycle. The sidecar takes off. I think my favorite part of this, and it's a gag that's coming. It's, it's and, and Steve, the comedy of threes. We know it. It's the yeah. third gag. He stays in that leaning position the whole time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's the key. As, as if it's somehow just going to miraculously take off. He stays in that position. It's it's what sells the joke. <laughs> back to the peanut stand. And our lemonade guy is back. Now he's got a straw hat. They go at each other right away. Lemonade guy wipes like mustard on Harpo's hand. Harpo mm-hmm. wipes that on his the lemonade guy's sash, then cuts it off. They're knocking peanuts out of each other's hands. He takes the hat puts it into the roaster, lights that hat on fire, <laughs> to which our lemonade guy tosses the whole cart, goes back to his lemonade stand that's very busy. Harpo <laughs> rolls up his pants, jumps up on the lemonade stand, gets into the lemonade and starts running with his bare legs. That uh, pretty much kills the business. <laughs> I know. And there was a whole line of people, apparently. Yeah. People came from miles around to have this lemonade, Steve. <laughs> Delightful lemonade. I mean, who doesn't like a delicious glass of nice cold lemonade? <laughs> Again, Margaret Dumont is trying to avoid war. I mean, this is very serious. She's desperate to do so, yeah. <laughs> you think she would have rethought this whole Rufus T. Firefly thing at some point. <laughs> at this point, yeah, right. And she set up a meeting where she's going to have Firefly come back to the ambassador and they're going to work it out. So she calls up Groucho, who is in bed covered in crackers. <laughs> Not animal crackers. Right. And she says, you have to come over. It's a long story. I can't tell it to you over the phone. Oh, it's that kind of a story. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'll be right over. (laughs) And he gives her the plans for war. Yeah. Why? I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But she now has the plans for war. Why don't you marry me? Why, marry you? You take me and I'll take a vacation. I'll need a vacation if we're going to get married. Married. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. And then in comes the ambassador. So we're going to resolve all of this. I am willing to do anything to prevent this war. It's too late. I've already paid a month's rent in the battlefield. <laughs> let me let me preface this joke. Sure. So there are moments in this film which have some references to things that maybe wouldn't make you that comfortable today. Yeah, sure. And sure. one of them is this joke that ends up talking about... This term that I will say, which is uh, darkies. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, it's yeah. a really weird one because like this is the era that this was. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Marx Brothers would have thought that they were being racist or offensive, but hmm. this is what that joke is. There are a couple of them in the film. It is. It is. You're right there because essentially this is a Jimmy the Greek moment back in the 1930s. If you guys remember Jimmy the Greek and what he got caught saying in the 1980s on camera. Right. And which got him fired. And it was a popular racist uh, belief 
that has been going on for numerous decades about uh, about African-Americans, about blacks in this country. And so, yeah, you're right. It's a ter- it's a joke to point out as a, not a good joke and one that shouldn't be lauded as we watch this movie. And then what happens is we're trying to remember what were the insulting things that the ambassador said to Firefly that got him so upset. And we repeat them, worm, swine, and then we get to upstart and he slaps him again. That's the one. Yeah. And now Vera, the dancer, her job is now to get the war plans because he knows that uh, Treesdale has them. There's this weird thing, by the way, she's talking to Trentino on the phone Mm -hmm. and she's holding her dress Mm -hmm. in this weird way. Vera, the dancer is. And I go like, what is going on with her side? Is the dress like falling apart? Is there a hole there? Is her side hurt? It's very strange the way she's holding her dress. Yeah. And now Harpo and Chico show up to sneak into this house. Ring the bell. But of course, Harpo has a giant bell. A guy comes out and Harpo sneaks in and closes the door behind him and Chico is left out. And then Chico goes in and Harpo is left out and then they're both left out. And, you know, it's it's a bit. (laughs) And then they go into another room because the dancer lets them in. Oh, for heaven's sake, whatever you do, don't make a sound. If you're found, you're lost. Oh, you're crazy. How can I be lost if I'm found? And then she says, whatever you do, don't make a sound. And as she says this, Harpo is playing with a clock, which rings. He picks up a duck, which is a music box. It starts playing. He opens up a piano, which he plays like a harp. This is the only thing that's even remotely of Harpo playing music. Yeah. It's one of those rare uh, Marx Brothers films where he doesn't. This was a complaint. Like, they're like, why why do we not have a Harpo scene? A harp scene. You stay here, but keep quiet. Remember what she said. If we get caught, we're going to get uh, court plastered. (laughs) Instead of court martialed. Right. Back in Groucho's room. And Chico locks Groucho in the bathroom, who's calling Let Me Out. And Chico puts on some makeup in order to look like Groucho. And he does. Really does. They all kind of look alike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, obviously, because they're brothers. But, like, I think Chico comes the closest to looking like Groucho in the getup. So, yeah. Well, and apparently they did play each other sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So there's one where uh, Groucho had to go to the hospital, have his appendix taken out. So Zeppo did Groucho. Oh, wow. This is in 1930. How and funny. at first, nobody noticed. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they would frequently put on their other each other's outfits. I don't know, frequently, but they did do it. Right. And now Chico goes in as Firefly to talk to Mrs. Treesdale. Oh, Your Excellency, I'm so glad you've come. I'm glad I come too. You got the plans? And she's wondering why he has an Italian accent. Oh, well, you see, maybe sometime I go to Italy and I'm practicing the language. (laughs) And then Harpo, also dressed as Croucho, shows up. And Chico is under the bed. And now Harpo is talking to her with a horn. What's the matter with you? Have you lost your voice? And then he disappears and she thinks she's all alone. So she starts to undress. But then Groucho is there. Right. So now we've got the three Grouchos all in their nightgowns, all (laughs) with their hats or night shirts, I guess. And now Harpo runs down the stairs, slides at the bottom, and he's got the combination for the safe to open up the safe and get the plans. And he goes to the safe and he starts putting in the combination, but it's not a safe, it's a radio, and it bursts out with John Philip Sousa's Stars and Stripes Forever really loud, and we have a bit of trying to turn it off, trying to cover it, hitting with seltzer, throwing it, breaking it up with a, you know, like something that looks like a mic stand or something, and finally throws it out the window. And I like that Margaret Dumont says, What's that? Sounds to me like mice. Mice. Mice don't play music. No? How about the old maestro? You just got to like words. If you yeah. don't like, you know. Yeah. It's not going to work for you if you don't like words. Yeah. Although it is funny, like, that you get both 
insane, like silent movie level physical comedy right. and Groucho level word comedy mm-hmm. in the same film. Again, not an easy thing to do. People. Harpo runs into a mirror and shatters it. And apparently sweeps all the mirror all the fragments away. <laughs> and now we get one of the great bits of all time. Oh, yeah. Oh, my uh, God. Apparently, this is Leo McCary's idea. Really? Yeah. Wow. So he really did contribute a lot to this very, film, it sounds it's like. It's very smart idea, man. Jesus. And what it is, is it's Harpo and Groucho, and Groucho thinks he is looking at himself in a mirror or believes that maybe he isn't and keeps trying to trick his reflection. Mm-hmm. And they're so good. Yeah, yeah. Part of what makes them so good is that it's not perfect, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's almost perfect. Right. And then, and the, the, there are a couple of bits. The greatest one for me is Groucho spins around and throws his hands out, and Harpo doesn't spin around and throws his hands out in the same way. <laughs> Groucho doesn't see it because he was spinning around. Right. That's just like a perfect visual gag. It's a clever, brilliant bit uh, within the bit, right? Because mm-hmm. he knows he's going to, what do I got to spin? I'll just stand here and go, ta da! Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, and then the moment where they actually circle each other walking through <laughs> twice, the mirror. <laughs> and he has the hat. And yeah. he has the right hat. Because you think the whole time he's going to get found out and he pulls out the right hat. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, and this is just like it is Ugh. three minutes of total silliness. Yeah. Until finally Chico shows up and now we have two reflections <laughs> in the mirror and we grab Chico. Oh. God, when Tigger comes in and he's like, push, get the fuck out of here. He's like, no, no, no. What's going on? No, you idiot. And then he's the one that gets captured. It's so funny. (laughs) And now he is on trial. He's a secretary Um, of war. He's a treason. Come on. Yeah, it's a big deal. (laughs) By the way, one of the guys is a guy with a big mustache who's sitting there. Yeah. He is the nephew of Sullivan from Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And Groucho loved Gilbert and Sullivan, unsurprisingly. Uh, yeah. um, and so they were just really happy to have this guy on the set. <laughs> the um, lead attorney, the prosecuting attorney, is uh, the guy who played Ming the Merciless back in the uh, Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Give me a number from one to ten. Eleven. Right. Now I ask you one. What is it has a trunk with no key, weighs 2,000 pounds, and lives in a cycle? That's irrelevant. Irrelevant? Hey, that's the answer. <laughs> and again, it goes to this thing where everybody else is totally straight. They have to ignore oh, yeah. Yeah. everything that's happening around them. I mean, when he says, "What you took the you accused of taking the battle plans?" I, I, you know, I got two battle plans. True, I sold a coat and two pair of planes. <laughs> <laughs> Just funny, man. Or Groucho saying, "Gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot and look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot." <laughs> I'm going to tell you this right now. For about 20 years of my life, I had that. I would use that line when I would see someone say something stupid on television. Whoever I was with, friends or girlfriends or family, I would say that all the time. Man, look like an idiot. Dog like an idiot. Don't let them fool you. He really is an idiot. And again, we're talking about trying to prevent war. Again, (laughs) the ambassador comes to, like, resolve everything. And uh, Firefly is ready. He's ready to resolve this. He's ready to... Give him his hand in friendship, and then he goes off. And I feel sure that he will accept this gesture in the spirit in which it is offered. But suppose he doesn't. A fine thing that'll be. I hold out my hand, and he refuses to accept it. That'll add a lot to my prestige, won't it? 
Me, the head of a country snubbed by a foreign ambassador. Who does he think he is that he can come here and make a sap out of me in front of all my people? Think of it. I hold out my hand and that hyena refuses to accept it. Why, the cheap four-flushing swine, he'll never get away with it, I tell you. He'll never get away with it. <laughs> and, and the ambassador enters. So you refuse to shake hands with me, and he slaps him. <laughs> oh, like, I can't. That's that's the final straw. This means war. And then we go into what multiple critics have described as what might be the craziest musical number in a Marx Brothers movie. Oh yeah, yeah. this is the going to war. We're going to war. At least the country's going to war. At least the country's going to war. At least the country's going to war. This is a fact we can't ignore. It's a nuts, particularly once Harpo enters with the baton. A chandelier collapses on him. I love the Marx Brothers playing the soldiers' helmets. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And Harpo cutting the feathers. They go into a Minnie the Moocher sort of reference with Heidi, mm-hmm. Heidi, Heidi, Ho. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, this is uh, probably Pete Cab Calloway in the yeah. mid-30s. Probably, yeah. Heidi, 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 Ho. They play fake banjos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the tune of Oh Susanna. Yeah. It, it's not that it's Busby Berkeley-ish, but it's definitely ridiculous musical number of the 30s, you know? Yes. Yes. Once again, this is all about very funny physical surface comedy. All of it just works uh, there, right? You don't need to go further. But if you're going further, what they're skewering is these calls to war, these pomp and circum yes. you know, like, let's get all the t- we're going to war and not thinking about the ramifications and the consequences of war what it really leads to the damage it does to so many people who go to war the after effects of war which by the way was not something people discovered right after vietnam that's been going on since the first war and every war afterwards it, it's just that they had done a great job of hiding away those stories and not letting them be parts of the narrative around these wars but that's what happens because it's just not it's not something that doesn't leave a scar on you so them making and, and them cutting like carpo cutting the th- the the f- feathers of the helmets off that's just all like making fun of this idea of wanting to march off to war make it a big deal and make it a song and make it a whole thing that you should be getting behind when in fact it's really a terrible decision to make and it's going to lead to a lot of damage on both sides whether you win or lose you know? i'm so glad you brought this up because it's true it's like why there is this mix of pageantry and mm-hmm. war mm-hmm. it's real. it's totally bizarre when you think about it oh yeah here you're going to do as serious a thing that you could ever do and you right. know what we need is a marching band and a lot of flags and fireworks and all this stuff to celebrate it seems like heading off to you know, have violence yeah to and kill death people. and destruction yeah. yeah when i was in there these were questions that you of course you weren't allowed to ask right and, and but we would quietly make fun of it ourselves the army or the military is not full of just like-minded people who think one group think the whole time right. there are a lot of us who understand the hypocrisy and the ridiculous pageantry of the whole setup of going to war, but it's all to make you feel like you've got, you're doing something that is worthwhile, that there's a purpose to what you're doing instead of the whims of a leader in charge who's upset about something, you know, which sometimes it can be reduced to not every time, 
not every time. No, my my denigrating World War II or the battles that were fought against real evil like Hitler. I'm just saying sometimes we're sent off to wars because leaders can't, or can't get over themselves and are pouty little whiny bitches and we have to go pay for their fucking anger. And it's not right. You know, like so. Rufus T. Firefly, exactly. Who's an yeah. idiot? Who is? Who is? You uh, uh, slapped the Sylvania. By the way, but the Sylvania leader is not, you know, no good person either. He's trying to take over the country, but still, the idiot made up in his mind some fantasy that the guy was going to be disrespectful to him, and then reacted to that in real time. It's like it's like being, waking up from a dream that your partner was in and getting mad at your partner because of something they did in the dream. Right? You're like what? 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 I wasn't even. That's not real. <laughs> you know. It really, honestly, it seems like the only responsible person in this movie is Margaret Dumont. Yes. You know? She actually cares about the country. Yeah. Everyone else is just terrible. Yeah. Um, at the at the climax of this musical number, we pull back a curtain revealing the Marx Brothers dressed up as like Washington in Revolutionary War <laughs> outfits with Harpo on a horse. Totally on a stage. What's the point of this? I have no idea. <laughs> well, there's this weird evolution through the history of war and costumes that's about to go on that's so it's oh, a great point steve yes it's so yeah. odd and right now we have harpo ride off as a paul revere type yeah and and then he rides up to a house and sees a woman changing again this is pre Hayes code they would never have gotten away with this next oh year. right yeah 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 gets off the horse, goes upstairs. She's getting ready for a bath. And where it's weird. It's actually really weird because you think it's going to go one way, mm-hmm. but then actually she's then hiding him because her husband is about to show up. Right. You know, and I don't know, like, are they implying that they've been, that they had sex and then the husband shows up or what? I, I don't quite understand what they're I think implying. this is a victim of bad editing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like the guy that shows up to the leader of Sylvania Apparently, there was a whole subplot where he was trying to instigate uh, a revolution. And all you get is that snippet of him being exhausted and that Rufus was smarter than he thought, blah, blah, blah. But we never saw any of those scenes. So I think this is a victim of editing as well, because her body position is one of being like, get away from me. Initially, I'm sure there's another scene where that was cut where they're having this back and forth. And he eventually maybe gets close to seducing her. And then she, you know. Yeah. You know whose fault it probably is? Who? My teacher, Eddie Dimitrik. He was the assistant editor. <laughs> in addition to being a communist sympathizer. Oh. He was. He's one of the Hollywood Ten. He went up in front of the House on an American Activities Committee. Nice. So and he obviously messed up this cut. But now <laughs> who comes home but her husband, which is the lemonade guy, of course. Yeah. And she hands him a gun and says the country's going off to war. And he goes, I want a bath. <laughs> And we're in the tub, and he sits down in the tub, and we hear the horn. And you already know where this is going to go. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Moves again, more horn, moves again, more horn. Then we hear a trumpet, and Harpo rises out of the tub in front of him with the trumpet, a la like Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street, you know? (laughs) And then he's again on his horse, sees a woman in a window, blows a kiss, rides his horse into the building, and then we get a great visual gag, which is we see his shoes and the camera pans to her shoes and the camera pans to horseshoes. <laughs> and one of the things that let them get away with this, he, even before the Hayes code, you yeah. couldn't show a man and a woman in a bed together, Right, but it's okay that he's in the bed with the horse and she's in a separate <laughs> bed. 
now we're back with Groucho and he's wearing maybe a Civil War uniform. Yeah, it looks like Robert E. Lee uniform. Yeah, it looks like a Civil War uniform, totally. And what we're going to see is he's in different uniforms each time. Your Excellency, our men are being badly beaten in open warfare. I suggest we dig trenches. Dig trenches? With our men being killed off like flies? There isn't time to dig trenches. We'll buy them ready-made. Here, run out and get some trenches. Yes, sir. Wait a minute. Get them this high and our soldiers won't need any pants. Yes, sir. Wait a minute. Get them this high and we won't need any soldiers. Yes, sir. There's just so many lines that I love. Message from the front, sir. Oh, I'm sick of messages from the front. Don't we ever get a message from the side? General Smith reports a gas attack. He wants to know what to do. Tell him to take a teaspoonful of bicarbonate soda and a half a glass of water. Yes, sir. Any answer to that message? No, sir. Well, in that case, don't send it. <laughs> and then a missile, a bomb goes through the window. That's a cool effect, by the way, for yeah. that time. Yeah. That looked real, that bomb going right through. It doesn't look like there's strings or anything like that. It looks really well done, actually. Groucho asks for his Stratus, where his Stradivarius is, opens up a violin case and pulls out a machine gun. <laughs> Do you know, what's the origin of the machine gun? In the, it's got to be one of those gangster movies of this era, I assume. Oh, probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's Public Enemy number one, or because this is 33. You mean carrying the machine gun in the violin case? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be something like that. Okay. By the way, it's a different machine gun that he pulls out of the case from the one he shoots out the window. Yeah. That seems like a tough continuity thing to mess up, but they did. Your Excellency, you're shooting your own men. Here's five dollars. Keep it under your hat. Never mind. I'll keep it under my hat. And we hear that we have a man pooling the countryside for volunteers. And we see Harpo with a sign and it says, join the army, see the Navy. <laughs> and he's and he's walking against like, you know, what at the time was probably their version of a green screen there. Uh, right. With all those, with all that footage uh, going on behind him. Yeah, just stock war footage, basically. Yeah. Um, and again, this goes to the thing you were saying before. We're out recruiting in the middle of this ridiculous war. Yeah. The military is always recruiting. They use wars to recruit people. Um, right. Because you got to replace the people that died. And if you win the war, that makes you recruit more, even more people who come back and speak so glowingly about the experience, you know. And now we see, like, explosions on this house. And we cut back and now Groucho is wearing a Scoutmaster's uniform with shorts. <laughs> and Harpo is, has a like a tri-corner hat, which gets mm -hmm. hit first once and it spins a little and then gets hit with a machine gun and spins continuously. Groucho is now dressed as like a, like a beef eater from uh, London with a giant fur hat. I, I don't know what the changes in uniform are, except that it's just ridiculously silly. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and maybe maybe what it is, if we want to put meaning to it, is it's the the ridiculous silliness of all history of war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like yeah. like all countries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and going because the way we tell war stories is these romantic, yes. heroic things. And we're kind of exploding that. Yeah. We're also exploding the house. Now the roof is falling in. Calling all nations, calling all nations. We're in a mess, folks. We're in a mess. Rush to Fredonia. Three men and one woman are trapped in the building. Send help at once. If you can't send help, send two more women. And then Harpo holds up three fingers. Make it three more women. And then he says, we must have help. And Harpo puts out a help wanted sign. <laughs> now Groucho's in a coonskin cap, a la, you know, Daniel Boone. Yeah. Which one of us is going to have the rare privilege of sacrificing his life for his country? And Chico does what is not an eeny, meeny, viny, mo, but something like it and ends up with himself. I did it wrong. Does it again. Ends up with himself. It's no good, too. And they're just face it and points to Harper. It's so funny. I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing it. 
every time he lands on himself. I think this next line is the best example of what you've been saying. Mm. As they're sending him out to die for his country, essentially, they say, You're a brave man. Go and break through the lines. And remember, while you're out there risking life and limb through shot and shell, we'll be in here thinking what a sucker you are. Yeah. Well, what does that make you think of, Steve? Well, this is between World War I and World War II. Yeah. And this is very much like... The rich people and powerful mm-hmm. people who start wars yep. get the other people to go out and fight them. What did Donald Trump say, allegedly, in that interview with you or in that uh, article in The Atlantic, right? That he called them suckers. suckers. Even at the fucking cemetery, he called them suckers and wonder, wondered what was the point. Do not fool yourself, ladies and gentlemen, that rich people see the world the way you do. They don't. They have no concept of it the way regular people do or people who are not as super rich as them do because they've always through time been able to buy their way out of situations. And this is yet another one of those instances uh, where that's what Groucho and that's what the movie is essentially saying in that moment, what a sucker you are because we talked you into going to fight the war for us. And it's a useless cause. It's a cause that makes no sense. Nothing. You're not going to get anything out of it. We're losing the war when we send you out there to go sacrifice your life. It's how that's how useless we see you as. You know, and it's it's unfortunate. I I probably won't paint all rich people with the same brush, but I, but I, what I will say, where I totally agree, is that if you grow up in those circumstances, you got to work real hard, yeah, to see things from other people's perspectives, right? Because there's so much insulation around yeah. you, and there's a tendency when you're raised a certain way to believe that some reason you deserve it. Yes, you deserve it because you're special or better or something, no. and you're not. You know, you're lucky. Lucky sperm club, as they call it. Yeah. yeah. It shocked me when like a thing fall fell and he- hits Margaret Dumont. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. She's the one good person in this movie. <laughs> and Harpo ends up, I don't quite understand why Harpo ends up in a room with all the ammunition. But, of course, it gets lit and now there's explosions going on, on around him. And a chair falls on Groucho's head and it looked like it hurt yeah. to me. It does not look like it was on purpose. It looks like it was painful. And we hear helpless on the way. And then we get this montage of fire trucks (laughs) and motorcycles and rowers and racers and monkeys and elephants and dolphins. Dolphins are coming. Don't forget the dolphins. (laughs) And Groucho gets shot in the butt. And then this big white urn thing drops on his head. Harpo finally gets out and wants to help him out of the urn thing. And And then he turns around and the Groucho face is on the urn. Yeah. I think they do a the movie is ridiculous from the very beginning. Yeah. But they do a good job of it accelerating and amplifying. It's a great sight gag. Yeah. <laughs> that Groucho face on the urn is like a real <laughs> bit of insanity. And it lasts for maybe what, five seconds? Then they yeah. put the firecracker in there and blow it up. So yeah. it was just really for that moment, which was really funny. And right when he after the thing is blown up, Groucho just says, Any mail for me while I was gone? And now the they're breaking through the door. And Harpo is hitting the soldiers as they come in through the door. And then Trentino comes in the door and they catch him. Trentino, eh? That's game. He surrenders and they start throwing stuff at him. Groucho says, we're going to keep going until we run out of fruit. You're not getting out of it this easy. And then Mark Dumont bursts into Hail Fredonia. And they turn and start throwing stuff at her. Fortunately, mostly missing her. Yes, uh, there, that was on purpose. They're supposed to miss. And her. that is the end of the film. <laughs> uh, by the way, the the uh, Tommy Gun in the in the violin case, nineteen thirty, Doorway to Hell, a James Cagney film. That's the first appearance. Gotcha. Of that and from there it went forward. But yeah, yeah. 
Um, thank you. That was an important. That is an important piece of information. I'm <laughs> glad that we got that right. <laughs> Again, this is why you tune into the cinephiles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it was to some degree considered a failure, which it yes. really wasn't. It, the thing was, the last movie they had was the biggest hit of the year. Right. It was the sixth highest grossing film of 1933. Right. That's really good. Yeah. It just isn't as big as their last one. It's not a flop. Um, it got kind of mixed reviews, and people thought that it didn't really compare to the other movies. They finally got out of this deal with Paramount. Chico made an insanely big money deal with Irving Thalberg at MGM. Mm-hmm. They continued to work together until uh, the late 40s. They continued making movies uh, even when the public's taste for their comedy had moved on. And Thalberg was really the guy who understood them and made the changes to the movies, added love stories. I like Night at the Opera. I, I like I, Night at the Opera. Yeah. yeah. And so he's the one, but he died young, 28 yeah. years old, and he was their biggest supporter. Uh, and uh, his death kind of affected their trajectory in Hollywood and where they they would have gone. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, Groucho found a second life doing the hosting the shows and doing all yeah. that kind of stuff. So he was able to survive and uh, Harpo and Chico as well. Yeah, and Har- Harpo became he like was part of the Algonquin Roundtable and yeah. was hanging out with intellectuals. You know, by the way, whether or not this movie was intended to be political, Groucho says he said we were just trying to do funny stuff. And someone asked, "Well, what's the significance of things?" And he says, "The significance is four Jews trying to get a laugh." <laughs> um, but Mussolini was so offended by it, he banned the film in Italy, which of course the Marx Brothers loved. Yeah, yeah. And then the movie really had a resurgence in the 60s because all of the hippies saw this as political. They saw your skewering authority, which is what they wanted to do. Zeppo left. He's done. And he and Gummo formed one of the most successful talent agencies in Hollywood. Yeah, right. They repped Lana Lana Turner. They repped Jack Benny. Uh, Leo McCary, he made Love Affair in the 50s, then remade his own movie as An Affair to Remember. Which is, and he did a long, long list of films, including Going My Way, Bells of St. Mary's. Obviously, as we said, this inspired everyone from Woody Allen to The Beatles to Animaniacs. You know, Sasha Baron Cohen, huge fan of the Marx Brothers in the way that it skewers authority. I will give my final thoughts of this film first. The first thing is, I love the fact that my 10 year old could watch this movie that is 80 years old and was completely glued to it and still found it hilarious. Yeah. I think that the Marx brothers are come almost completely unique. Yes. There's people that have imitated, but the level of insanity, mm-hmm. the level of complete surrealism and non sequiturs, the lack of reality is just beyond anything I can think of. And yeah. it is so fun and to be able to sit there and have one of the great physical comedians of all time and one of the great word comedians of all time and then have Chico who could bounce between them. I just I can't get enough of it. Yeah. Um, my final thoughts are this. I mean, when people tell you about classic comedies, this is what they're talking about. And try not to see it through 2021 eyes and go, oh, it's dated. Try to understand where it's coming from. Try to understand what they're skewing, what they're actually making fun of. And yes, Groucho is going to say that because that's what an intellectual would say. So it makes it makes all the sense of the world. You don't want to draw attention to it. It's like telling the joke or explaining the joke. It loses its effect. There's so much physical humor here that is not overdone. There's so much 
uh, uh, great puns being done throughout the movie that are really funny. Uh, they're skewering every institution you can think of just about. Uh, and also providing just a basic level of very damn good comedy for you to enjoy overall. And it's a tight, what, a minute and, or sorry, hour and eight minutes or hour and nine minutes. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a quick watch, but a lot happens within that quick watch that you can enjoy. Um, and I think this is a film that still stands the test of time. I think their films still uh, will affect, as you said, Sasha Baron Cohen still influenced by them. I'm influenced by the kind of comedy that I enjoy through what they did. So it's like, it, it still carries over. And as Steve said, it's a film he can still show to his young son and that will carry over. That will be an influence. So like anything else that is great, it is timeless. Anything in entertainment that is great, it is timeless. And because it is timeless, it deserves all our, rec- our rep- respect and recognition. And I'm glad we covered it for the cinephiles. And if you haven't seen it, because a lot of you, like to watch and listen to our episodes before you see the movie, uh, I would encourage you to definitely watch this one as soon as possible. I think it's available on 2B TV for mm. free, T-U-B-I TV for free. So go and enjoy well, it. And this one is definitely one that we, you and I can't capture. You know what no, I mean? No. Like you can't, it's, there's so much going on. Like one of the things I was, I was thinking about is totally. when watching it, you almost have to see it twice yep. because – it, everything happens so fast. You're just like, yeah. wait, what happened? What did they do? Where, 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 what? Yeah. You know, there's so much going on. So, yeah. so that's what we think of Duck Soup and the Marx Brothers. We'd love to hear what you think. Visit us on our Facebook page. Let us know what your favorite Marx Brothers movie is. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Cine underscore Files. On Instagram at the Cinephiles Podcast, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts where we could really use your reviews. They yeah. really help. Maybe make them surreal and maybe make them nonsensical and non-sequiturs, but give them five stars. That's the most important <laughs> thing. You can leave your comments on YouTube. You can also subscribe on Spotify or on Anchor. Uh, if you want to buy Duck Soup along with every other film we've ever done, you could do it on our website, cinephiles.net. And if you want to support the show, yeah. you could do it on patreon.com slash the cinephiles where you can pledge to pick one of our films or pick our cinephile shorts that we record every week. And if you want to reach me, you can do it on Twitter at SR Morris, Instagram at SR Morris one. And the farthest thing in the world from the Marx brothers might be Star Trek, the original series. But if you're interested in that, you could check out enterprise incidents, my other podcast, John, how would people find you? You can always find me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you're a Twitch person, the outlaw nation, all one word there on the Twitch and head on over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says, see all the stuff we're doing there. And of course the uh, top 10 and the geek buddies all available for you to listen to in podcast form. And I think that is it for this week. We will see you next time on the cinephiles for another great film. <laughs>